when you get to the Super Bowl, both teams have fans there, and it's loud every time you go on the field. So offensively, you're probably going to use a silent count. On Wavemaker Conversations, as we approach Super Bowl 51 between the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots, my guest is Atlanta's own former head coach Dan Reeves, who has taken teams to the Super Bowl four times. When the noise is such that you can't hear the quarterback's cadence, that's the one advantage that the offense has. So what people have come up with is a silent count. Coach Reeves will describe for us the kinds of signals and motions we can look for when the offense has to communicate their plays without their voices. And then you'll see the guard tap the center, and then the center knows, is it a one count? As soon as he taps, you snap it, or you hesitate slightly, and then you snap it. And how silent communication in an original way helped Coach Reeves lead the Falcons to their only other Super Bowl appearance. Both teams are going to have to deal with a tremendous amount of crowd. And this is an indoor stadium in Houston, and it's going to be, how do they handle you know, the, the silent count. I'm Michael Shoulder, and this is the third annual Wavemaker edition of How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends. My special guest is Dan Reeves, with brief cameos from two other Super Bowl champions. Coach Dan Reeves, uh, thank you for joining me on this episode of Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. Are you an insanely curious guy, by the way? <laughs> insanely curious. You know, probably so. You know, you like to know exactly what uh, what's going on and, you know, what you're getting into and, you know, what's the future and what's, you know, behind you. So I, I, I'm sure I am. Well, yeah, the, the name of this particular episode is, and I've been doing this, this is the third year now, How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends. So as somebody who has been the head coach in four different Super Bowls, three for the Denver Broncos and the one and only for the Atlanta Falcons, what do you look for? How do you watch the Super Bowl? What do you notice that we might not get in the audience from the play-by-play? You know, I think from a coach's standpoint, uh, you know, having looked at so much film through the years, the first thing you do is look at the quarterback, uh, you know, whether your team is on offense or whether your team's on defense. You know, you watch a quarterback, and from that point, you can see, you know, what's going on. So, you know, I have the habit of looking at that. And then, you know, from a coach's standpoint, a lot of times you like to see, uh, after you've watched the play, run it back and see what defense they were in, what was the, you know, the line defense, what was the secondary coverage. You know, just like you're taking off a film. You know, you've done, you, you, I did that for so many years of taking off the film, and you always put down what the – you know, offensive formation was, and then you'd come up with what the defense was playing. So, you know, I have a tendency. But if I'm just watching film and watching, you know, the game, which I'll do, you know, on Sunday, uh, you know, I'll just watch uh, the quarterback and two great ones and, and go from there. Two great ones. And uh, Matt Ryan is having really such an amazing season. What is he doing differently this year than he's ever done before? I don't think he's doing anything different uh, other than the scheme is a little bit different. I think Kyle Shanahan has put in a, a great scheme that fits, you know, what Matt, uh, you know, does well. Matt sees the field extremely well, and therefore he can look and know, you know, where he should go with the football to find an open receiver. And, you know, being in the system for the second year makes it easier for him to do that. He's more comfortable with it. I tell people all the time that, 
systems that that, that uh, offenses are in is basically a language. You know, they, and some uh, systems are a lot of language, which I understand the West Coast system, which the Falcons are, are using, is a very long, lot of words and so forth. So I tell people all the time, it's like going to, to Mexico. You know, you can make an A in Spanish in the United States, but yet you go to Mexico City and you're going to have to, you know, hold up and wait and you can't understand what the people are saying. So I think the language is much more comfortable uh, knowing exactly, uh, you know, what to do. And I think he's more comfortable with the receivers and the backs that he has. When, when you say language, so for the, for the average viewer, tell us what you mean by language and that there's a lot of language. Well, you know, in the, in the huddle, a quarterback will go, you know, red, right, you know, raise 66, X post, Y5, you know, X under. So, you know, there's a lot of language. He may come up and go, you know, uh, red, right, power 49, EGO. What does that What does that mean, right there? Well, power forty nine EGO is a red is the formation, so you got a split backfield with the halfback on the weak side, the fullback on the strong side toward the tight end. So it's a right formation, and uh, forty nine means that the fullback is going through the nine hole, and the EGO is the block at the uh, end, and the G guard is pulling and the O guard is pulling. So it's telling people what to do. So you just changed my perspective on the huddle. All those words, all that language you just used for me in the huddle, I couldn't follow that. I don't know that I could memorize that. These must be the smartest guys on earth. <laughs> well, those are some of the simpler ones that I gave you. So, you know, they get extremely long. And like I said, you know, you, you may go to another system, you know, and all of a sudden it's a total, you know, different language. So, you know, when you go and you, you know, a new system like Kyle Shanahan came in and put in a new system, you know, with the Falcons, it was very uncomfortable, I'm sure, a little bit for Matt Ryan last year. He's more comfortable in it now, so are the players. And I think they added, uh, you know, some pieces that really have helped. Alex Mack, you know, they got as a center, and the center is the one that coordinates those five guys up front. If you watched him play last year, Matt Ryan took a heck of a beating, and that's tough on any quarterback. I don't care how tough you are. And Alex Mack came in, and he kind of solidified that offensive line. And their protection for Matt has been a lot, you know, a lot better. And he's been able to, therefore, look at the field and move it to, and, and hit a lot of different receivers. So the way I met you is through a center who I had on last year, Bill Curry, Super Bowl champion center. And he told me stuff about being a center. Again, I think maybe it's the most unheralded and in some ways significant position on that field. And I just learned outside when you walked into the studio, you've got a very close relative who is the center of the New England Patriots. Tell me about that. Well, it's my wife's grandnephew. Uh, her older brother is the grandfather of David Andrews. And of course, we followed uh, David uh, because of that since he was at Wesleyan, you know, here in Atlanta, then went to the you know University of Georgia and played for you know, the Bulldogs, and he was a starting center there. And, uh, you know, so we're very, very close to David. And, uh, you know, so therefore you got some some torn feelings as far as the game. Uh, you know, you'd like to see the Atlanta Falcons win, but it's also the first, uh, you know, Super Bowl for your grandnephew, and, uh, you know, you're pulling for him to win also. Or at least to have a lot of good snaps. Yeah, a lot. And, you know, that's the thing. It's been amazing. I watched him through college, well, of course, through high school too, I don't think I've ever seen him make a bad snap, and he does an awful lot of shotgun, which you know is snapped, 
you know, without him looking at the at the quarterback. And, uh, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do. And a lot of times you got a 325-pound nose tackle over you and you got to snap the ball and try to, you know, block the guy in front of you. So it's a very difficult position. But I think the thing that David does so well is that he, he works extremely hard when he first went to New England. You know, he told me, he said, uh, Uncle Dan, and he signed with the, with the Patriots as a free agent, immediately went up to New England, and this is in the off season. And he said, uh, you know, I'm in there every day looking at film, and he said, Uncle Dan, you won't believe it, Tom Brady's there every day too. So here in the off season, you know, it was Tom Brady, you know, in studying film. And, and so David learned an awful lot by going up there early, and I think that helped him, you know, become the center for the Patriots. So let me give you a little story that Bill Curry gave me last year, which I found fascinating because you talk about watching film. And hopefully after you've watched all the film, you can anticipate everything except you tell me as a head coach. I guess part of your job as a head coach in that Super Bowl is you know the other team has looked at all your film. You got you to gotta come up with a surprise. Is that right? Well, and that's the thing. And I think there's no question. I mean, you got to be able to adjust and you try to put in some things that the other team hadn't seen. But nobody does that as well as Bill Belichick does. And that's going to be Dan Quinn's challenge. And when you look at the staff for the Atlanta Falcons this year, Dan Quinn has a lot of experience on his staff. Bobby Turner, you know, has been there with the Denver Broncos. Richard Smith has been there with the Broncos. Uh, You know, uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan's dad, you know, won won back-to-back Super Bowls with the Broncos. So, They've got an awful lot of experience that I think is, you know, and, of course, Dan Quinn's been in a lot of Super Bowls with Seattle. So I think that uh, that experience is really going to pay dividends in understanding not only X's and O's and the game plan and how you have to have things different and, you know, something, you know, to surprise the other team. Also, the preparation, you know, you got two weeks to get ready for it. How do you do that? Do you give the game plan, you know, to them uh, and worry about, you know, they're going to be, you know, so tired of the game plan by the time it rolls around, or do you wait to that, you know, week of the game before you, you know, give them the game plan? Those types of things they've had experience with, and I think that'll really pay dividends. As a head coach, what was what was your strategy going into the Super Bowl? When <laughs> would you give them? How much time would you give them to just rest? Because there's two weeks in between that last championship game and the and the Super Bowl. How much time did you give them to rest? When did you give them the game plan? Well, you know, I, I lost four Super Bowls as a head coach, so you're probably asking the wrong, you know, person. But that is a, a big challenge. I did it a lot of different ways and wasn't successful, you know, at any of them. But I think that, you, you know, you give them a game plan and have them work on it and you critique it, you know, the week of the, that you go down to the Super Bowl. I think you critique it there. There's so many distractions that, that you can't control you know, the off time that the players have and so forth to where they aren't thinking about, you know, the the game itself. So I think it's important to get that game plan in the first week and then you critique it and, and, uh, you know, maybe make some changes, some of those little uh, things that we're talking about to make it a, a little bit different for, you know, what that other team is probably looking for. You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. I'm Michael Shoulder. My guest as we approach Super Bowl 51 between the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots is former head coach Dan Reeves. Now, you said, you know, you lost four Super Bowls, but what an accomplishment to take teams to four Super Bowls, three with Denver, the only one that Atlanta was ever in, 
And we all say, we all know, we teach our kids, you learn from failure. What did you learn from those four Super Bowls that you can now communicate to Coach Quinn I know, you know we're a little torn here because you got your, your grandnephew in the, uh, as, as the center of the Patriots. But is there something, was there a moment, was there a play in one of those Super Bowls or a dynamic or a speech maybe you gave in the locker room and wish you had tweaked it a little bit that, w- that they could learn from to win this Super Bowl? Well, uh, you know, I think, first of all, uh, you know, this is a lot of them's first time to be in a Super Bowl. And I think as a coach, they've got to stress to them that, guys, it, yeah, it's great to get there. The work's not finished. You know, we come here for one purpose, and that's to win the thing. So let's do everything we can as far as our preparation is concerned because that's the greatest motivator of all. You know, if you're prepared, once you walk on that field, all of the things that you've done in the, you know, all season long – they're out there, and, and if you're prepared, you're not going to be surprised by anything that the other team, you know, shows you or does. So, you know, I think it's important that, uh, you know, that you get that point across, guys. We have got to concentrate and be prepared. And once we go out there, let's don't make the mistakes that cost you football games. Let's don't do something stupid as far as, you know, things that you can control, which is – don't do you know have the penalties you know not the ones that you know are from effort, but the ones of jumping off sides you know the the ones that your concentration you know can in it can eliminate you know let's don't have those uh, you know types of mistakes let's just don't let you know things beat ourselves let's make that other team beat us. So coming back to the unforced errors and watching all the tapes and knowing that there may be a surprise. So I I was going to mention this story uh, that Bill Curry told me. He said one of the things he used to do as center, he knew that the defensive linemen were looking at him so closely and at his hands Mm -hmm. and trying to anticipate that snap, and he called it the white knuckle trick. When the center's knuckles turn white, that means he's about to snap the ball. So (laughs) naturally... I would get in the wrong stance about half the time, and I would do a little white knuckle, and people would jump, and then they'd start accusing me of drawing them off sides, and I would just stand there looking as innocent as possible because all I did was make my knuckles turn white by slightly gripping the ball. Did you, Dan Reeves, as a head coach, have any tricks up your sleeve that you used and worked? Well, there's no question that uh, snap counts and the cadence is is a big factor. Uh, you know, in any ball game. And, you know, that's the thing that you try to get your quarterbacks to do is use their cadence, you know, as best you can. Now, when you get in the Super Bowl, you know, when you're at home, you know, offensively you don't have to deal with the crowd noise. So you got to treat it like it's an away game because when you get to the Super Bowl, both teams have fans there and it's loud every time you go on the field. So offensively you're probably going to use a silent count and – I don't know how good Tom Brady is, but they worked with probably the best quarter against probably the best quarterback last week. They could get you offside, you know, with a silent count, and that's Aaron Rodgers of doing the things that you're talking about. Bills doing where the center, you know, maybe make a little move, you know, with his head or so that's, forth. That's, that's a term. That's I'm sorry. That's a term that again, people like me who are not obsessed about football but love the game. Silent count, just just give me the basic description of a silent count. Well, when the noise is such that you can't hear the quarterback's cadence, that's the one advantage that the offense has. So what people have come up with is a silent count. Whether you do it a lot of different ways, you'll see teams do it with the guard 
look back in the shotgun when the quarterback is in the shotgun, and he will the guard will look back, not the center, and then you'll see the guard tap the the center, and then the center knows is it a one you know count? As soon as he taps, you snap it, or you hesitate slightly and then you snap it. So uh, when we had the silent count, we would do it with the center's move head moving. If he went to his left and when he snapped it, when the head came back, if it was a second count, he would move his head to the left, come back to the center, move his head to the right, and when he came back to the center, you'd snap it. A lot of people do it different ways, but you got to come up with a silent count. And so they worked against Aaron Rodgers. you got to, as a defensive player, you know, watch that football. And that's what Bill's talking about. If he pressed his hands just a little bit, can you do that enough, you know, legally? because you can't move the football, but can you do it enough with your knuckles just turn white, you know, to get enough uh, defensive linemen to jump? And those things are, you know, are, are really big in a football game. If it can get a guy, well, for Minnesota game that we played, the noise was unbelievable. Which was this? The Minnesota game that got us, you know, that Atlanta Falcons to the Super Bowl, you know, in 98. That was one thing that we worked on. Uh, we had always used a silent count you know, that I'm talking about where the center would move his head and so forth in the shotgun. But we had never used a silent count with the quarterback under the center, you know, because we figured that the lineman could hear the quarterback if he's under the center. And yet, in looking at film, everybody would jump off sides with the quarterback under center when they got down in the red zone where the noise got in the, the dome there in Minnesota. So looking at that film, I said, we can't afford to do that. You get in the red zone, you got to come away with points. We can't afford to get off, you know, the illegal procedure and be penalized five yards. And we had never done it, silent count, with the quarterback underneath the center. And I said, we're going to do it if he's under the center or if he's in the shotgun. So we're going to use a silent count then. And we took the opening kickoff, which is as loud as I've ever heard a crowd, and we marched down the field and scored on the opening drive. In that ball game, we never once had an illegal procedure in that ball game, and that was huge, you know, for us to handle the crowd noise, which everybody had had a tough time, you know, in the dome handling the crowd noise. And that's going to be important for both teams because when you go out there now and you're on offense and not like being at home where the crowd's going to be quiet and you can, you know, hear both teams are going to have to deal with a tremendous amount of crowd. And this is an indoor stadium in Houston. So you're going to have to deal with crowd noise, both teams, and it's going to be how do they handle, you know, the, the silent count. Well, that's a perspective changer for me. You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. I'm Michael Shoulder. My guest as we approach Super Bowl 51 between the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots is former head coach Dan Reeves. And because of the insights he's giving us, I call this episode, it's actually the third annual Wavemaker episode called How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends. You mentioned great middle linebackers. Two years ago for this show, I interviewed Nick Bonaconti, mm -hmm. who you played against in the Super Bowl that you won. And I took a note from, uh, from a quote he gave me, which is a great quote. We got our butts kicked by the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl VI. And so uh, when, when we went back to training camp, uh, we were determined that we were going to 
not only get back to a Super Bowl, but win a Super Bowl. And the team totally dedicated themselves to that because we were so embarrassed by the Cowboys because they just took us apart. How did you take that Miami Dolphins team, which ended up becoming a Super Bowl champion the next year, how did you take them apart? And what lessons did you learn from that that might apply to this coming Atlanta Falcons Well, I can team? tell you a Nick Bonacani story because uh, that was the key. They had a great defense, and it was led by Nick Bonacani. I was a player coach first year that I was a player coach in 1970. My job was to, you know, scout the uh, coming team, the, the next opponent's linebackers. That was my job. And so getting ready for the Super Bowl, I looked at the linebackers for the Miami Dolphins, and they were a great group of linebackers, but the middle linebacker was the key to their defense. And so looking at the film, and I looked at a lot of film to get ready for it because you had to, you know, the extra time to get ready, I watched Nick Bonacani. And so when we were getting prepared for that game, and I gave the scouting report on the linebackers to the coaching staff. Coach Landry said, okay, when we practice, you're going to be Nick Bonacani. And you play Nick, not one of our defensive linebackers. You play him because you've got to, you know, fill the hole how you see Nick Bonacani is going to do it. So I'm telling you, I was making plays early in, you know, in our practice. You know, with Nick Bonacani, I'd come through and more I was, you know, but the more that our defense, I mean, our offense saw it, I'm telling you, by the time we got to the, you know, the last practice Super Bowl, I had, I was getting the heck knocked out of me. So they knew how to, you know, our offensive line in particular, knew how to block Nick Bonacani on a lot of plays. And that was the key in the ball game. I think we did a pretty good job. But wait you, know, you were you were the, a running back at the I time. I was a running back. So how did you get that assignment? It, never done it before. But that was what Coach Landry said. He looked at the film, too, and noticed how Nick Bonacani was a little bit different than preparing for other teams and things that he keyed, where he went, how he went you know, to certain positions and so forth. And so he wanted me to play it. And, I, you know, I played Nick Bonacani. You know, instead of one of our defensive players doing it, I would put on a, a you know, opposite colored jersey and play Nick Bonacani. So by the time the game rolled around, I'd been beat up pretty good, you know, during the week. And, you know, we did a pretty good job in that ball game. Like Nick said, you know, we had a, a great game plan. I mean, Coach Landry came up with a great game plan. Our offensive uh, line in particular knew what was, you know, what to do. And uh, we ran the ball extremely well in in the ball game. And then Mike Ditka made, you know, some key catches for us. And then, you uh, know, uh, our defense played well. Handling Paul Warfield was one of the keys. So, you know, again, it's one of those things that you look at film and uh, you try to come up with a way how we're going to, you know, defeat what we've seen on film. Coach Landry, I grew up watching him, and he just seemed to be so cool under pressure all the time. What did you learn from Coach Tom oh, Landry? We don't have enough time to, to talk about <laughs> one, what. One thing you learned. One oh thing. gosh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even, I can't boil it down to, to one thing, but I guess the one thing that I would say is preparation. You know, he always had us prepared, and he felt like that was the greatest motivator. He felt like if you were prepared to do your job, then nothing that the other team, you know, did, you know, was going to keep you from getting your job done because you were prepared for everything. He would look at a film and he would see something in a film 
And he would say, well, wonder if that safety came on the blitz. Well, Coach, the safety hadn't blitzed. I know it. But if the safety did come, who was who going to block him? Well, you know, Coach, I think the running back's the one that, you know, would see it. So he should be the one. Or we're going to, you know, throw hot and let the quarterback get rid of it. And even though the team hadn't showed it, all of a sudden you're playing the next week and I'll be darned, here came the safety. We knew how to handle it. The quarterback knew what to do with the football. So he would look at things and anticipate, you know, what was coming. So he was unbelievable at that. The other thing is that Coach Landry did the game plan for offense and the defense. And the one year that I I actually came back, got out of coaching in 1973, was fortunate enough to come back in 1974 and coach special teams. And even coaching special teams, he wanted to know exactly what I was doing. He looked at films. He would agree with it. So he really had input in every single phase of the game. I've never been around a coach that had an input and, you know, did game plans. He actually would do the offensive game plan. Then that night, the defensive coaches would stay, you know, and do the defensive game plan so that it would be ready for the players on Wednesday morning when it came in. So, but what you just taught me there, and I never really was hyper aware of it until you just said it, is looking at the game tapes, you're not just looking for history. You're looking at what, how they might change right. their history going down the road. No How that other team? So he was, we were always prepared. You know, you were not going to get surprised by anything. And, and you know, going through that, that was that was one of the things he did that, that you know, I thought was so good. The other thing is that, that, that Coach Landry was the same win or lose. I mean, we would, we would look at film, and when we won, you got through looking at that film, and we would come outside and we'd say, you know, didn't we win that game yesterday? But he was always correcting you. You know, even if you, you know, the play was successful and you didn't do what you were supposed to do, he pointed that out. And he would he would get on you. That's not how we're going to do this. You know, that play was successful, but you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So he would correct, you know, watching the film. And, you know, when I was, we won a lot of games, but we would come out of that room, you know, and we'd go, gosh, did we win yesterday or did we lose? Because he was always very critical, you know, of your performance, trying to get you to be better than what you were. So, and he, and he was also, uh, well, let me, this will kind of explain what kind of person he was. When I was get got the head coaching job with the Denver Broncos, he called me, you know, in and, and said, Dan, I've got two pieces of advice for you. He said, first of all, be yourself. He said, people will pick up on a phony quicker than anything. And what he was saying, don't try to be like me. You know, be yourself. You know, don't be like Coach Landry. Don't try to copy somebody else. Be yourself because people will pick up on a phony quicker than anything. And the second thing he said, always tell the truth. He said, because if you can't tell the truth, he said, how are you going to ever remember what you said? And that was great advice, you know, because there's so many times you ask questions, you know, as far as uh, football is concerned. And so if you always, you know, told the truth, you wouldn't have to remember, well, I didn't tell him the truth. Now, what did I tell him? You know, that kind of thing. So he was a man of his word, a man of great character, and he felt like character was the greatest thing that a player could have. If you had a team that had character, you had a chance to be successful. Coach Landry's favorite quote was, you can tell the character of a person by how he treats those 
who can do nothing for him. Two last questions, one football-related, one ethics-related, because you have a reputation. I've spoken to people as somebody who's very humble despite your great success and somebody who plays by the rules. But the first football question is, and we, we talked, we alluded to it earlier, you, you, you got your teams to four Super Bowls. Was there anything in that last, when you took the Atlanta Falcons to their only other Super Bowl appearance, is there anything that happened in that game that you learned from that you could communicate to the coach, the head coach today that says, listen, you, you know what you're doing, but I just want to give you one piece of advice. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, is uh, this team is excited about being in, rightfully so. They've had a great year, just played a great, uh, you know, game to, to get there against a very good football team, you know, and, uh, you know, playing the Packers. Uh, and so they're excited about being there, but you can't be just excited about being there. You got to come in. You got one more game to play, and let's get ready to play the best game of our career. And if you go into halftime down, which Atlanta hasn't been doing much of lately, right. if you go in down, have you ever given a speech that you remember? I guess if you give too many words, it can backfire. There's only so much you can absorb at halftime. But we all wonder when we're watching the halftime game, if our team is down, I wonder what the coach is saying to them. What have you said to your team in one of those Super Bowls that might that you look back on and say, you know what, I did good there? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not a Super Bowl because, like I said, uh, you know, uh, I've been, we've been down by 35 points in, in a Super Bowl against San Francisco. You know, halftime is really overrated a great deal. You'd have very little time. You've got to go over some things and go over them very quickly uh, because you have, a, a you know, a coach that's up in the press box that's, you know, keeping uh, stats and so forth. Uh, you got pictures that you've looked at, uh, you know, of what they're doing and so forth. So you got a very little time. I mean, by the time you go over what you want to go over with, with the coaches and by the time the guys have gone to the restroom or whatever they needed to do and you get back, now, the Super Bowl gives you a lot more time, you know, because of the long halftime, and that's something that they, that's going to be different for them that they got to, you know, do. You don't have to rush as much. you got more time to do some things. Uh, you know, we played one game. We're down by 35 points against San Francisco. You know, they give you a two-minute warning, and so there you usually talk to the team and tell them, okay, guys, we're behind, but we got to do this, you know, blah, 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 and they go. I gave them, well, they gave us two two minute warnings in that ball game. So, how many times can you say, guys, forget about the first half? You know, if we're down, let's just go out and play the second half and try to win it. You know, so you have very little time to do things and you got to get it done. So, I think a lot of times it's overrated. It's still that preparation that you had, you know, earlier and the things that you need. Like I was talking about, I wish we'd have kept our nickel defense in there. You should see those things, and by halftime, you ought to be able to make those adjustments. Let's don't keep our you know regular defense in there like we did against Denver. When it's third down, I don't care. Put our nickel defense in there because they're keeping their same people. We can still line up and cover them a little bit better when they put those run in. So there's things that 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 you know you've got to make those adjustments and do it in a short period of time. Final question, ethics. The first time I ever heard you speak was at this wonderful organization here in Atlanta called Action Ministries. It does, I mean, really, you talk about God's work. Right. And you're involved with them. T tell me how your values has impacted your playing and your coaching. 
Well, you know, I, I think, again, I, I was fortunate through high school with Jimmy Hightower, who's in the Georgia, you know, Sports Hall of Fame. You know, he was a great Christian man. And, and so, I, you know, I, I learned from, from him in high school. We talked about Coach Bass earlier, no, no finer Christian man, you know, than he was. Uh, Coach Landry, by far, uh, you know, was a great mentor for me, not only how you coach, but how you handle your life, you know, what kind of person are you and so forth. So I was raised in a Christian home. You know, I had a mom and a dad that I tell people all the time I had a drug problem when I was young. Because they drug me to church, drug me to Sunday school. Uh, so I was raised in a Christian home, and, and my mom and dad, uh, you know, gave me all those values and things. I have fortunate, like I said, I had coaches, you know, that I, I was surrounded with throughout my life. And, you know, th- the Lord means a, a lot to me. He's been very good to me. When I look back and look at the 73 years, uh, you know, and, and to have a wife that, you know, I've been married to for 53 years, have three children, have the seven grandchildren that I, you know, have. Uh, you know, the Lord has truly blessed me. Uh, 39 years in the National Football League for a guy that dreamed about playing in the NFL, you know, listened to it on radio when he was growing up, and all of a sudden you get to spend 39 years of your life in a profession that you never dreamed that you would be a part of. You know, the Lord is truly, it doesn't happen by accident in my opinion. The Lord has a plan for us, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for how good he's been to me. Well, Coach Dan Reeves, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Wavemaker Conversations, a, a podcast for the insanely curious. Okay, great. What are you curious, by the way? What are you really insanely curious to see in the first quarter of the Super Bowl? Well, insanely curious, I want to see two great quarterbacks play the way they're capable of playing and may the best team win because I think they're both great quarterbacks. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and thank you again. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. If you find this podcast enriching, I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes. Or you can go to my website, wavemaker.me. Once you subscribe for free, the weekly episodes are delivered automatically to your phone or computer. And then every traffic jam, every train ride, every flight becomes an opportunity to get smarter. Thanks to my editor, Brian Morris. I'm Michael Shoulder. Thank you for listening to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious.